Well, it is easy, and I think tempting because it's easy, to reduce life to only what you can see. It's easy to ignore things that have complicated explanations or irrational connections because we can't connect the dots. In fact, if something cannot be stated as a hypothesis and tested in a lab, then it's sort of hard for us to get our uh, head around. And there are plenty of things like that, aren't there? Certainly, Russia invading Ukraine is that way. And we look to connect the dots, and we can't. And we ultimately have to shrug and say, well, that is just how it is. Or we look at the homeless camps in Portland. And we say, that's just how it is. We watch someone abandon a spouse for sexual freedom. And we know we shouldn't be judgy, but... Reality is, that's how it is. Or you watch someone throw away a career for an addiction. And there's no explanation, just the way it is. Did it ever occur to you, though, that more may be going on here than meets the eye? That the standard scientific cause and effect framework that works well in the lab doesn't really work that well in real life because too many things are unseen and explanations are hard to come by. The reality is that there is a lot in our world that is not rational, that isn't explainable merely by what we can see. So there's a lot happening that we may never understand and explanations of which we may never know. And so you just review when you say, okay, why well, did Russia invade Ukraine? And I want to say, could there be another yet unseen explanation? Our text this morning in Matthew chapter 8 is not just an invitation to consider that there may be some spiritual powers at work in the world that we can't see or understand, but it also is an invitation to recognize that Jesus is king with complete authority over that unseen world. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn uh, to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, and I'll begin reading in verse 28. Matthew 8, verse 28. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out 
What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go! So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled. Going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when he saw them, they begged him to leave the city. Well, I'm just going to say in the front of it that this is one of the most unusual and memorable encounters in the short career of Jesus. I mean, uh, later this week, really, you're going to reflect on this and say, really, who can forget these crazed demoniacs, the herd of pigs rushing headlong into the sea, and the rioting townspeople begging Jesus to leave? I mean, this has everything. It has so much, actually, that it makes me ask, why did Matthew include this? I mean, this is weird enough, don't you think, that his better editorial sensibilities might have uh, taken it out? But he didn't. He left it here. And so I have to say, why did he leave it here? Well, I think this um, story, this encounter, is here because Matthew wants us to see between, uh, beneath the thin veneer of these physical oddities to see three startling things about the spiritual authority of Jesus. Matthew wants to peel back the veil and let us see what is unseen in a way that we are surprised again by the spiritual authority of Jesus. And so here is, here is surprise number one. Surprise number one is the torturous demons correctly identify Jesus. These demons are the first to recognize who Jesus really is. In verse 28, he came to the other side of the sea. You remember, he had just taken this uh, voyage, eventful voyage, of course. There was a storm. They woke him up, said, what are you going to do about this? He just spoke to the winds and the waves and got quiet. They easily made it to the other side. They got out. They went to the country of the Gadarenes. Now, that's all pretty normal. And then two demon-possessed men met Jesus. Coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. Now, I just want you to use your imaginations a little bit. 
these two demon-possessed men encounter Jesus coming out of the tombs. Okay, this is a little bit like that zombie apocalypse that you have worried about. This is that encounter with, I mean, they're in a graveyard. They're sleeping in the tombs. They get up and they scare people. That's what they, so much so that no one goes there. Okay. The first thing you need to recognize about the, about demons, really, here is how destructive they are to those who are influenced by them. They, uh, they just took the lives of these men away from them. They had nothing left. No home, no jobs, no family, no friends. I'm going to come back to that in a moment, but if you were to read all of Matthew chapter 8, you'd, you'd remember that Matthew is, is uh, showing us what it's like to encounter Jesus, what it's like to figure out who Jesus really is. We saw a leper come up to Jesus. We saw a soldier just really get it about the authority that Jesus had to heal. We saw other people encounter Jesus and reject him and choose their comfort over following him. We saw someone else choose their family over Jesus, even though they recognized him as a good teacher. I think it's fair to say, even in the, the verses that precede this, that the disciples really weren't certain who Jesus was when they got into the boat. But I will assure you, they had a much better idea when they got out of the boat. But even then, even then, what did they know about Jesus? You had some people call him teacher, others call him the Lord. Jesus himself said the Son of Man, called himself the Son of Man. But here, here for the first time, somebody gets it. They get who Jesus is. And <laughs> they're his enemies. They're demons. And they call him the Son of God. They recognize that Jesus is not someone to be trifled with. Nobody has come up with that yet. The clearest understanding of who Jesus is comes from evil spirits. And then, really, this is the surprise. This is what I want you to see. There's an Easter egg here that Matthew gives to us. And once you see it, I don't think you'll be able to unsee it uh, as you read the book of Matthew. And that is that Matthew, Matthew talks to us in the language of the Bible. How about that? And he says, 
and behold. Right? That's, that's kind of how we want to read the Bible, right? And behold. Like that's what's happening. That's not really what's happening. Okay? Matthew says, it does read, and behold. But you should think of it. Can't even do it anymore. <laughs> and behold, as Matthew saying, now look, watch this. Or I think my personal favorite, surprise. And you think, oh, the pastor's making stuff up again. But really, if you go back through the book of Matthew, every time he says, and behold, something utterly surprising is happening. There is the baby born in a stable. And surprise, some kings show up to worship him. Or you have a little bit earlier in chapter uh, 8, you have a leper come, right? And surprise, lepers aren't supposed to like approach anybody, let alone the Messiah. And so we have Matthew giving us this hint. And the reason I point it out to you now is that we only have seven verses here. And three times in those seven verses, Matthew wants to make sure you're, you notice the joke, that you get the surprise. And he says, and behold, or surprise, something happens that you would never expect. And what is happening here is that demons, the enemies of Jesus, are coming up to him, addressing him properly when no one else ever has. Yeah, that's a surprise. And they say, literally, what to us and to you? Or, translate, what do you have to do with us? Or what do we have to do with you? And I think probably they're simply saying, Jesus, what are you doing here? And I think if you want to get the feel of it, it's, it's like a teenager who, who sneaked away only to get to his destination and find his parents there. What are you doing here? That is what these demons are, are talking about here. What, Jesus, are you doing here? And then they ask him an important question. They say, have you come here? Have you come to torment us? before the time. Have you come to torment us before the time? That's an interesting assumption, one that a teenager might make about his parents also. But what was Jesus going to do, right? You know, look at his watch. So it's not time to torment demons yet. They're talking about the time, like the time. And to give you the best clearest picture of the time, I'm, I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians 15, verses 24 through 26, which says, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father, or the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. 
for he must reign until he has put all the enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so it is that day, that time, the end, when Jesus eradicates every enemy, the last enemy being death. And he delivers the kingdom to God the Father in triumph and the end. The end and the judgment. You see, Jesus has authority and these demons know it. They're anticipating the judgment and they know better than to mess with Jesus. So I know that there are people who would love to dismiss hell or find it hard to imagine. Yet, here are spiritual beings that are certainly destined to spend eternity there and they know it and that's what they want to take up with Jesus. Are you here to torment us before the time? So don't underestimate the authority of Jesus who will one day judge all spiritual opposition. Well, the first surprise is that they recognize Jesus, that a source you wouldn't expect, the demons, are the ones who recognize Jesus. The second surprise comes now when, with just one word, Jesus sends these chatty demons to drown a herd of pigs. Look at verse 30. Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, a whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Again, the first thing that I notice here is that the demons continue talking. Notice how chatty they are. It's just like they want to talk with Jesus. I mean, they've got to be on edge, right? Just like people, some people, you know, that they talk when they're nervous. That's what these demons are doing. They're just chatting it up. They're the ones that do all the talking. The men aren't talking, and neither is Jesus. In fact, all of the ideas here come from the demons, not from Jesus. They initiate the prospect of Jesus casting them out. They're the ones that look over yonder and suggest the herd of pigs. All Jesus does, are you ready for this? Here, if you're ever going to like be in a pageant and play Jesus, you want to have this, this story because you can remember your lines, right? Jesus has one. Go! Go! Jesus says one word to give you some perspective on his authority, right? He only has one line in the whole story. Go. And guess what? 
or should I say, not guess what, guess what might be a good translation, but, and behold, right? Or surprise, those demons leave, they go into the pigs, the pigs take off over the cliff, into the water, and they're done. Did not see that coming. That doesn't happen every day. And again, I just, it's hard to say enough about the destructive nature of demons. I want to say that because I don't want you, just because I'm having a little fun with this story, and I think Matthew is too. I don't want you to say, oh, demons must be fun, and so go explore, or go try it out, or go see what they're like, because they are destructive. If you're wondering what demons do, they destroy. They ruin whatever it is they touch. They are of the same nature as the devil, who is the prince of demons. And they assault the authority and power of God through deception, accusation, and intimidation. We see the intimidation here, right? People couldn't even walk along the road because these demons would drive these men to go uh, interrupt that. We see their intimidation which caused fear in the, in the uh, eyes of the townspeople and, or the travelers or even these uh, sheep herders. But that shouldn't surprise us. Because they are like the prince of the demons. Jesus tells us as much in John 8, 44, when he uh, is talking to the, um, the Jews, and he says, you're, of, you're not of Abraham, you're of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's a murderer from the beginning. That is what he does. His aim is to destroy. Please don't underestimate him. He does not have good intentions. And so, I don't know if that's what you see when you see Hollywood movies that uh, portray, uh, you know, evil spirits. But if it's not what you see, you should see it. They are bent on destruction. Some of the time, they bully people. Some of the time, they intimidate just out of force. Other times, they intimidate through deception. That's If you keep reading in John 8, 44, you'll, you'll see that, right? He was a murderer from the beginning. It has nothing to do with the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. Or like the NIV there, it says, when he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. He is happy to deceive you. And I think probably for every time that you might see some intimidating thing that is demonic in nature, you would see a hundred deceptive things that come from the lips or the des designs of demons. 
They love to deceive. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, it says this. It says, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Now there, these are, thankfully, because it helps us see it, right? These demons in this uh, in this encounter with Jesus, they're not disguising themselves. They're, they're, just, they're calling it like they see it. They're, they're controlling these men. They're running up to Jesus. They're talking about what they think he ought to do. They're not disguising themselves, but they will. They will when you encounter them. Their chief trick is to get you to believe a lie. Things that are not true, which is deception at its best. And so they disguise themselves. It's one of the ways that they assault the authority of Jesus. Then the third way that they assault, besides intimidation, besides deception, is accusation. And again, they're related to the father of lies, the father of accusation, the prince of the demons, and this is, this is really clear in that day in Revelation when um, John writes in Revelation chapter 12, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. Okay, that's what we're talking about. The authority of Christ coming, encountering these demons now, they're worried about that day when he will torment them. Then Re- Revelation continues. The authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Who accuses them day and night before our God. What is demonic is the accusation of God's children before God Himself and then in their own consciences. One of the places that this is um, unwrapped for us is in the introduction to the book of Job. We see God asked Satan, who had been wandering the earth, he said, have you seen my servant Job? And Satan says, yes, I've seen your servant Job. He just serves you because you pay him. That's the only reason. In other words, Satan is accusing Job before God. And God says, no, I don't think so. And then you have the whole, all of Job's sufferings unfold at the hand of Satan. And I think even now, that's Satan's favorite trick. He knows what's going on. In your life. He knows what, what's happening in your world. And he's very quick to say, don't you know what Scott did yesterday? Don't you know how awful he is? And he's telling God all of how bad I am, right? Which isn't very hard to figure out. Yet, the scripture is also so clear that Jesus himself stands at God's right hand, interceding for us, saying, Just a minute. Shut up. You don't have anything to say.
because it was taken care of on the cross. But nonetheless, he loves to accuse the brothers. And I think he loves to accuse the brothers to the brothers. He loves to accuse you to yourself. Because how many times have you wondered if God really could forgive you? How many times have you wondered if you really did go too far? How many times have you wondered if, in fact, what the Bible says about how much God loves you is really true? Satan loves to accuse you of all of those things in hopes that you'll forget how clear the Scripture is that says nothing, neither height nor depth nor angels nor principalities or powers, which are demons, shall separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. See, you're going to believe the accuser or are you going to believe the Scriptures? And so, because they intimidate and deceive and accuse... I simply want to tell you, don't underestimate demons just because you can't see them. But I also want to say, don't overestimate them either. Because part of their tactics are to get you to overestimate them and to be afraid and intimidated. And so here... They strike fear in every passerby. They harm those who are demonized. They kill the pigs and they oppose Jesus. And that's not the end of the story. That's only the second surprise, really. The third surprise here is that the city doesn't want Jesus. Look at verse 33. The herdsmen fled and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Now, I, I suspect, I told you that I thought Matthew left this in so that we would have optics into the unseen world. And we would be more certain of the authority of Jesus. I do think he left it in for that reason. But I also think he left it in because it's kind of a fun story to tell. I can just see Matthew with a smile on his face, pausing as he's writing this story, saying, and the herdsmen fled. How great is that? I mean, the pigs, they, they'd worked with the pigs their whole lives. They had a pig farm. Pigs never acted that way. I mean, seriously. Pigs are known for a few things. They, they stink. They can sometimes be stubborn. But they've never flat out sprinted. They've never tried to swim. And they've never tried to fly. And here they jump off the cliff into the water. They've never done that. And so what do you do? What do you do? You grew up working on the farm. You've never seen the, the um, animals act this way. And all of a sudden they go berserk. And then they die, and you have to go tell, you know, the, the farmer. Yeah, I, I'd be running my toe. 
So the herdsmen ran away, and they told everything to the townspeople. Now, this is interesting. They told everything to the townspeople. That is, especially, it says, about the demon-possessed men. But they didn't really know everything, did they? Because Matthew unfolds this for us in a way to say, these people are demonized. Matthew tells us there are demons at play here. But these guys are just pig farmers. They don't work with demons all the time. In fact, they're a long ways away. The, the, the text says, off in the distance was a herd of pigs. They didn't overhear the conversation. They didn't get the inside information that we get. They're just over there watching this, these travelers get confronted by these demon-possessed men, which happened all the time. And then those guys seem to relax, and all of a sudden, before they know it, they don't, I mean, it's not like you see in the movies, right, where there's these shadowy things. None of that. They're just watching this over here, and then without even knowing, the pigs take off. That's all that they can tell because that's all they know. So they knew that they needed to stay clear of these demon-possessed men both before and certainly now because now these men were in their right mind and their pigs were dead. And they went and they told everything especially about the men. And then there's the surprise. And behold, the whole city came out and asked Jesus to go away. I bet you didn't see that coming. Really? Because certainly everyone loves Jesus, right? Wrong. Behold, the whole city came out and they asked Jesus to leave. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment because this is, this is pretty important. This is kind of where this hits home for us. I think this moment is the moment like we saw in verse 47, or excuse me, verse 27. Look up just a little bit right before this story starts. Um, we see the end of Jesus calming the storm. He calms the storm, and all of a sudden, for the first time really, the disciples see Jesus in a new light. And they say, what sort of man is this? Of what kind is this? Now, it doesn't tell us what they did. It doesn't tell us that they jumped overboard or anything like that. I suspect they stayed in the boat and went to the shore, and they were walking along with Jesus at this moment. In other words, they have this revelation that Jesus is of a different kind, a different um, sort of species, you might say, than they are. Of what sort is this man? And they pledge their lives to learning, to following, to figuring it out. But, now we have the story being told about these demon, uh, demonized people being healed and the pigs being killed, and they have that same aha moment of what sort is this? 
This is not normal. He's not like us. Whoa. And they asked Jesus, move along. Now, before you get all critical of the people in the town, I want you to think about what it was like, right? Because Jesus solved one problem and caused another problem. Jesus freed these demonized people and he took away the living, in some respects, he didn't do it, but the, the demons did, of the farmer. And so I suspect if you had a small business and there were, let's say, homeless people outside of your small business and it was a nuisance to you all the time, but you'd gotten kind of used to it, you've adjusted and somebody came out and took care of this homeless problem right in front of you. And it meant that your business went under. Would you be happy or would you be sad? Would you say, woohoo, or would you say, go away? It's, it's a little complicated. Because their economy was the pigs. And that got shut down. And so Jesus comes on the scene and the equilibrium gets completely disrupted. The status quo was safer than Jesus. They saw what was happening and they recognized that Jesus is more dangerous than these demon-possessed men that wouldn't let anybody pass. And they recognized that Jesus disrupts the status quo. Now, we've seen Jesus heal diseases, calm natural disasters, now eradicate demons, and so I just want to return to where I started. Because maybe what you see isn't what you get. I suspect that many of us encounter lies and deceptions that are at their root demonic and we don't even recognize it. I suspect that many of us wrestle with accusing thoughts and feelings and don't recognize them as demonic. And I suspect that many in our world live in fear, intimidated by unseen forces, and we can't figure out why. We watch the news and see things like the invasion of Ukraine, and it makes no sense. It's like a herd of pigs taking off running for the cliff. And I suggest that because I want you to recognize when those things don't make sense in your life, sometimes it's because there is an unseen spiritual power at work. I want you to have, to develop, for lack of a more spiritual term, a spidey sense that should tingle when you see things in the world that make no sense. 
because the invisible world is every bit as real as the visible one. And that thought alone should be humbling and frightening for us. It should be frightening because if you are all by yourself, you have nothing with which to navigate the unseen world any more than those demoniacs did in those tombs. You are every bit as vulnerable as them. If, on the other hand, though, you know and embrace Jesus. You should have all the confidence in the world that you have with you, the one who has all authority over this unseen realm. You are hand in hand with the one who is king over all that is seen as well as all that is unseen. And so instead of producing fear, knowing there is an unseen realm, it should inspire confidence because Jesus is the king of that unseen realm. And because he has all authority, you are safer with Jesus in the middle of an unseen spiritual apocalypse than you would be if you were by yourself only dealing with what you can see. And so you're going to have to figure this out. When you realize what kind of a person Jesus is, you're going, to have to, you're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to be like the disciples in awe of Jesus? Or are you going to be like this town that really is uncomfortable with the status quo? It really doesn't like Jesus messing with your equilibrium. And so are you going to walk away or tell him to leave? Because I'd rather deal with the status quo. Thank you very much. And so I really want to encourage you. If ever there was a need for you to trust in Jesus, it's today. Because he has all authority over the unseen world. And you want to be with Him when you need Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is an unusual and frightening and awe-inspiring episode in the life of Jesus. Lord, would you Grant us faith to see Jesus for who He is, to trust Him for all that He can do, and to believe that there is no power that can be formed against Him that can succeed. And so, Father, I just pray for everyone here who has, who has status quo issues, who doesn't want their equilibrium to be disturbed by Jesus. And Father, would you grant us grace that we might trust Jesus and come alongside Him and count on Him to keep us safe. And we pray this in His name. Amen.